Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Premier Chelsea, your source for all things Premier League, but starting with Chelsea first. Coming to you on your speakers and headsets, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I'm one of your hosts, Jackie, and I'm here with Rahul today. Rahul, I think our friend Alex is enjoying spring break, right? He is very much enjoying his break, and I guess well-earned break. Well, well-earned. He needs a break from all of the craziness around Chelsea lately, but I guess we can jump right into that and get started. Let's jump into the Lille result first, because I know we have a lot to talk about with some of the things going in around the club, but we'll save that towards the end. We didn't get a chance to do a quick review on that, but maybe you can give us a quick two-minute segment on what happened there. Yeah, it was a quarterfinal second leg. Uh, we came in with the 2-0 uh, lead into this game against Lille. Uh, and as you'd expect, Lille started off uh, like they had a point to prove, and they really did because they wanted to get back into the game, get that early goal uh, which would kickstart their comeback and and hopefully get them uh, qualification to the next round. And for the most part, they tried to get in behind us, tried to test Mendy. Uh, we held our own until a penalty was called against us for a handball from Jorginho, uh, which was really the break that Leo were looking for. They go one nil up. Uh, and at that point, you're beginning to to wonder, right? You're it's the Champions League. You're away from home. The home crowd's all all going crazy with uh, the goal that they've just gotten. Uh, but I think we we rode that wave a little bit, and right at the end, uh, with our first shot on target, Christian Pulisic from a tight angle, uh, to his credit, made a good run. Gets gets right into the box from a tight angle, makes it one one, uh, and that essentially kills or, or, you know, puts a little bit more doubt in their minds. And for us, yeah. it gives us the belief. And uh, we come back and in the second half, uh, Espelicueta pops up with the, the winner and makes it 2-1. Yeah, and I think I predicted that scoreline as well. So I'm yeah, a little bit proud of that. But I think you summarized it well. Probably not the best performance on a Champions League night. But again, we're going away to Lille. We were having a lot of issues that we've already kind of talked about. And we will cover more of that toward the end of the episode. But we get the job done, we get the result done, and we move on and on to the Champions League draw next, right? Yes, sir. And uh, before we move on real quick, I just wanted to say we've complained here that we don't score enough from our chances created. In this game, we didn't create enough and we got two. So I guess uh, we, we got to be happy either way. But yes, the, the draw comes around and um, a lot of anticipation because there's some big teams in there, Man City, Liverpool, Bayern, Real Madrid. Uh, Benfica and Villarreal as well. And I think everyone from the Chelsea side were hoping for a trip to Portugal. Uh, no disrespect to Benfica. But we end up with Real Madrid, a rematch from last year's semifinal. Uh, and it has to be said that in the long, long, long history of Chelsea and Real Madrid, Real Madrid have never actually beaten us in a competitive fixture. And in the limited career in terms of comparing it to the clubs and the limited career of, of Tuchel, He's never lost to Real Madrid. So right. two stats and two records that bode well for us. But, you know, Real Madrid in this competition are always going to be a tough op opposition. Look, we did a good in-depth review last year when we played Real Madrid. In, I think it was the semifinals, if I'm not mistaken. And some of these points that come up of our history with them and how we've actually had a good run against Real Madrid. However, Real Madrid is Real Madrid. I think they have a good team. I mean, we just saw recently off of El Clasico, they didn't have such a good result. But ultimately, it is a big team with a lot of big players and they can show up on their day. So not necessarily a light one to take, but I've had some encouragement with what Tuchel has been saying recently in the news about he wants to build a team that people are afraid of. And he said that specifically about the Champions League draw in right. 
who would you like to play? And he said, doesn't matter. I want people to be afraid that they're playing Chelsea, which is admirable. And I think that's the way we need to be as we go forward and we march towards Real Madrid. We do. And uh, some of the other draws. So if we win this tie against Real Madrid, uh, we would move on to the semifinals and face the winner of either Man City or Atletico Madrid, which was one of the other quarterfinal draws. Uh, so if it's Man City, now that's the rematch from last year's final. Um, so interesting times ahead. And, and that's what you want to be in as, as Chelsea fans. We're used to this and for the last few years. We've kind of been in and out of it. But we're under Tuchel, we're firmly in these games. And, and that's what's exciting. And on the other side, it's uh, Liverpool versus Benfica uh, as the third quarterfinal. And the fourth one is Bayern versus Villarreal. And the winner of those two games would face off in the other semifinal. And eventually uh, the winner of that would move to the final. So we could, and I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself here, but essentially play Real Madrid, maybe Man City, and maybe Bayern, which would be quite a yeah. run to, to retain this trophy. Yeah, look, and I, I want to bring it back to what you talked about earlier is what Tuchel is doing and give him a little bit more credit than he, I mean, he deserves it, but a little bit more than we, we heap on him. I think we've covered this many times. The Chelsea of old, regardless of winning the trophy, that's a different scenario altogether. But they were always in the final eighth, final four of most major tournaments. And so, obviously, I'm going to try and skip some of the losses here. But into the final of the Carabao Cup, sitting top three in the Premier League, quarterfinal of the Champions League. I believe we're in the quarter semifinals of the FA Cup right now. Yep semifinals you're talking about winning a european super cup you've talked about the world club championship it's regardless of how this season ends at this point i think this is the chelsea of old that we grew up and we knew was being in those final stages of all competitions and hopefully pinching a couple of trophies like we've done already for the season and so adding maybe an fa cup and maybe another <laughs> champions league which is definitely a dream it, it just puts that cherry on top of the whole sunday that we're going through right now it definitely does. And you talk about, I saw a tweet from the men in Blazers who are a show out here in the U.S. Uh, that cover football, soccer. And they said, you know what, we should just at the end of the season have a, a game between Man City and Liverpool. And they were wins, wins all the trophies. And I, I saw it as a little bit of disrespectful because, yes, those two are, are the standout teams in the country, in the Premier League. But Look at what we've done over the last year, and you've highlighted some of those. And we're there again. We're one of the three English teams representing in, in the Champions League. We're one of the three English, or I guess in the FA Cup at least, um, the three top teams are in the semifinal, apart from Crystal Palace, who deserve their credit. So, yes, Man City and Liverpool are flying, and they're doing everything they can. Uh, but we're right there. And, and a couple of results going the right way earlier this season in the league. And we would be saying, and we're also in a title race, but <laughs> so that that's what just pointing back to what you were saying about Tuchel and Chelsea and the mentality now is we want to be there at the end. It doesn't matter if we don't go right. on and win these things, but we want to continue this habit of reaching these final stages. Yeah. I think that's what we are accustomed to. And I think ultimately while I want to win all of these things, Rahul, I think ultimately there is a financial incentive as well to get closer towards the end of these competitions and collect some of that payday. We'll talk more about why we want this payday, obviously, <laughs> but <laughs> for now, I think it's a great run. And obviously the road to the final is never going to be an easy one. And before even looking down there, Real Madrid is going to be an exciting one to play with. But uh, any wrapping up words on the Champions League before we go into the FA Cup? No, look, this we're holders of the trophy. It's definitely a tough run. 
uh, tough run of fixtures that we'll have to get through to even be back in the final. But like you said, we'll take it game by game. And with the record and what Tuchel showed us with uh, being able to maneuver through these knockout games, I'm, I'm pretty hopeful here. Yeah, as am I. And the last time we had to defend the Champions League, we did not do so well. Right. <laughs> so this this time we're a lot further along than we, we were last time. So I take, I take hope in that. But let's talk about the FA Cup. I think another competition we're doing strong in, like you said, semifinals now. We played Middlesbrough. And what can you tell us about that game? Uh, Middlesbrough away, like you said, in the quarterfinals, they've come on the back of beating Manchester United, Tottenham Hotspur. So they were coming in hot on, on their... In their on, on form, I beg your pardon. And Chelsea didn't really add to that earlier this week when they asked for this game to be played behind closed doors. Uh, so I think that added a little bit of fuel to that fire that Millsborough had. But you got to credit again, Tuchel and the boys. They they kept everything off the pitch, just all out there, and focused on on the matters on, on the pitch. And the team that did it was Mendy and Gold. Kepa was ill, so he missed out. Espelicueta comes back in. Thiago Silva, Rudiger, and Malang Sar. Uh, as the back four uh, and the three-man midfield with Mason Mount, Ruben Loftus-Cheek as the anchor or regista, as you'd say, and Kovacic on the other side. And then a front three of Pulisic, Lukaku, and Hakim Ziyech. Yeah, so definitely a super strong lineup. It's nice to see Ruben Loftus-Cheek still getting games in and around towards the end of the season here. I think Tuchel's praised him, and so he's one that stands out to me as getting that opportunity. And he's played, Rahul, I think three, four different positions for Tuchel now. Right. And so... Regardless of him maybe not being the first name on the team sheet, I think he's one that can definitely be around for a while to be that kind of utility player, maybe like what Saul was doing for us. Uh, Ruben Loftus-Cheek is now getting fit and getting into those positions. But one more thing we wanted to mention, other than it being a closed, not a closed game, Chelsea only really had five or 600 fans that were right. able to attend this particular game due to the sanctions. Again, I keep trying to skirt around these things that will come <laughs> towards the end of the episode. But limited amount of fans... You know, Tuchel puts out a strong lineup, and I think it's to be expected we were going to win this game, but I don't think Middlesbrough made this easy for us at any any point in time. They they definitely didn't, and like I said, they were they were full of belief. They knew that, you know, we've already knocked out two Premier League teams. Uh, Chelsea will definitely be difficult, but they believed that they could do it, and so I think we came out with the right motivation, uh, with the right respect. I think a lot of people were wondering why we started such a strong team, but You've got to respect the opposition and respect the comp competition. And it's the quarterfinals of the FA Cup. We obviously made it to the final last year. So I'm sure the desire from the squad in Tupel is to, to get back there and, and maybe go a step further. So uh, no complaints from me in terms of, you know, why didn't someone else start? Why didn't Timo play? I think the team that was selected did the job and did the job pretty well. Yeah. And, you know, bringing Lukaku back into the mix is someone who we have to talk about in this game. Kai Havertz has been probably one of the most informed players right now for Chelsea, specifically with his goal scoring and his ability to bring others into the team. So this was an opportunity, I think, for Lukaku, again, trying to be careful my words, because Middlesbrough are a strong team there in the quarterfinals of the FA Cup, but an opportunity for Lukaku to get on the score sheet or at least prove himself against, quote-unquote, lesser opposition. And he does pretty well there. We start really, really well early on with Lukaku, right? We do. It, it again, came back to... The system, I guess, I believe in, and the ability to have runners on either side of Loftus Street that were supporting uh, Lukaku while Pulisic and ZX stayed out wide. I think that was one of the key things was the wingers actually played as wingers and stayed out wide instead of cutting in. Now, I know the ZX goal comes from a cut in, but uh, 
Uh, we'll get to that and we'll talk about the role Espelicueta plays there. But I, I think it comes back to what Chidge had said a few episodes ago about Mason Mount being more of the eight instead of the 10. Uh, and again, you saw him in that position in and around the midfield and being able to run up and, and drive forward. And having coaches on the other side doing the same thing, I think was was helpful because we were able to beat Middlesbrough's press. I think their game plan was let's press Chelsea high and, and force them to make mistakes. Uh, but Chelsea were able to knock it in and around in the, in the triangles between three or four players. And, and then once we beat that first press, we had the ability to, to run in behind them, find spaces and pockets where we could exploit them. And for the most part, I think we, we did that very well. And in, in the instances that we didn't, uh, I think Tuchel was pretty vocal about from, from the sidelines, letting the boys know that they had to do better. Yeah, look, I like that he is like that to let them know I don't accept uh, mediocre performance. I don't accept if we don't give our 100% every single time. And I think that's important. That's something that we need from a passionate manager to let them know. But, you know, let's talk a little bit about Mason Mount. You talked about what Chich said, him playing in a deeper line position. But Rahul, whether he's playing as a 10, whether he's playing as an 8, whether he's playing on the right or the left, one thing we can be sure about with Mason Mount is he brings that energy and that desire to get forward i'm not even talking about the defensive ability at this point he i mean he's got his long hair now he's growing out his hair <laughs> and that hair was slicked back in the wind as he was making that run towards the wing just to be able to get a good cross in right yeah he was almost the outlet for hakim ziek at least on that right and they were connecting very well i think very well uh, that pretty much took the pressure off of espelicueta to make those runs and and add into the attack because between mason mount and ziek if one was dropping deeper the other one was immediately making the run in the space that uh, he was leaving and they connected well and, and mason mount was able to read the game from that aspect and understand the tactical uh you know what was needed tactically from him and uh, he turns provider, I believe, for both goals, which puts him in a category. I think he's now had 50. Uh, let me pull that stat up real quick. Yeah, following his two assists against Middlesbrough, uh, Mason Mount has been directly involved in 50 goals for Chelsea across all competitions, scoring 25 and assisting for the 25. And he's only been in the team maybe two and a half, because you could say this is the third full season yeah. by the end of it. So you're seeing the impact that he has obviously from the goal scoring side, but also now creating and providing those assists. Yeah. And I think that's what we wanted more of from Mason Mount. I know that in his first breakout season, we saw the potential there. And last season he was heavily involved. A lot of people made fun of the fact that, you know, he was Lampard's choice. And so Tuchel wouldn't play him, but he worked his, his way into Tuchel's heart. And he's almost, almost guaranteed a starting position, whether it's in the 10, whether it's in the eight, whether it's on the wing, Tuchel finds a way to play him. So He's one of those that we have expected more and more from, and you can slowly see that he's he's developing his game to match what Tuchel's asking of him, which is getting in the box, which is getting those crosses, getting on the end of goals, which we want to see. And so he's one that's long-term here to say. We've, we've said that for a while just because he's a Chelsea boy through and through, but he's also one that could lead us to good things long-term. Of course, with others that are around him, definitely don't want to exclude any of them, but Mason Mount is really turning into the player that, I think you had called very early on when he was at Der Derby, 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 that Chelsea should keep an eye on this young man because if he comes back, he really could bring something to the squad. Yeah, and credit to him for for taking making the most of the chance that was given to him, obviously at Derby County, but also when Lampard took over at Chelsea, he said Mason Mount's one of my guys, and 
uh, Mason Mount's made the most of it. And like you said, the next decade or so uh, with Mason Mount staying at Chelsea, I think we're pretty secure in those eight and 10 positions because not only did he have a good connection with Ziyech in this game, we've spoken about how he connects well with Kai Havertz in, in the last few episodes. So he's beginning to become that piece that is critical in unlocking the potential of some of those signings that we made last season. Uh, and that's only good news for us because we have, like we said earlier, we have some big games coming and Mason Mount's energy and ability to contribute on both ends is going to be uh, crucial. Yeah, and we talked about Mason Mount making the most of his chances. Another man that's making the most of his chances, and not just today. I think in recent times, of course, he's got a couple of injuries and whatnot, is Hakim Ziyech. He's been a guy that for a while there, Rahul, I thought he had got the right wing on lock, almost forcing Mason Mount to play that deeper eight position or, or coming from deep rather than having that natural 10. Obviously, he's gone through ups and downs at Chelsea. He's got injuries here and there, but he comes back into the team and he looks like he never left. He did, and, and and that's credit to him. I think obviously the the back four system suits him a lot better, uh, and we've seen that in the last few months. And every time Tuchel's gone back four, he's played Ziyech, and and he's he's yep. done well. So uh, I think, and then that's a good uh, option to have, right? You know, Ziyech can obviously contribute in the back three wing back uh, setup, but for if we're chasing a game, if we need more attacking uh, intent in a game, switch it up to a back four, and then. ZX on there and he's able to do what he does, which is not only contribute on the wing, but also cut in. And now teams, not that they didn't know it before, but now teams are going to say, you know what, we can't let him cut in kind of like what we had seen with Robin back in, yeah. uh, in the early days. So uh, ZX coming good. And I guess all the criticism that I, I put his way <laughs> earlier this season is coming to bite me. Uh, but I'll happily let that happen because if he's performing in the pitch and winning games, uh, that only makes me happy. And you, you know what it is, Rahul. I think it brings in a situation and it's getting a little bit away from the FA Cup at hand. But overall, Chelsea now have a couple of weapons in their locker. One is playing the three at the back with Kai Havertz leading the line almost as a false nine. And then you switch to this 4-3-3 with players like Hakim Ziyech, Pulisic hugging the wings. And then, of course, Lukaku gets an opportunity to be the spearhead of that attack. So... Tuchel's got an interesting set of players. You know, I, I, again, I'm tiptoeing around the situation we're going to cover later on in the episode, but depending on how the summer goes, depending on how ownership changes, he's going to want to hold on to a couple of these key guys that will help him be agile, be able to change the formation when he needs and have these weapons that can attack based on the team we're playing. Of course, Middlesbrough coming with a different formation, but tomorrow it's a different team staying deep and he may want to have a different set of formations. And it's good because it reminds me almost of the early days that we were supporting Chelsea, but we stuck to a 4-3-3 for so long that that's what we, we knew. Tuchel says, I'm not going to stick to a formation, but I've got a couple in my arsenal and I'll tweak them based on the games we're playing. So absolutely excited to see what happens in the summer, but at the risk of getting too caught up in the summertime, let's talk a little bit more about that first half. Lukaku had another opportunity there that could have killed it. And I think he gets a goal line clearance. Maybe it hits, hits the post. Is he at fault for this one? Or was it just a little bit too tough to finish it? I wouldn't say he's at tall. Uh, he's at fault. He reacts to a loose ball. He does well to beat the keeper. He applies the finishing touch. Like you said, goal line clearance, maybe he would have hit the post, uh, but he was in that position, right? For the longest time. And a few weeks ago, we yeah. said seven touches. He's not where he's supposed to be. Uh, he's more for liability, and we see he's already scored one that we we touched on briefly. 
but that was another one where he makes the right run. He is the presence in the box where the defenders are like, do we go close Mount? Do we close Lukaku? Uh, and he scores. And then in this case where we're talking about the miss, ball falls to him, like I said, and, and he does everything right but the finish. But he's going to take um, positive from positivity from that, knowing that I was in the right position. I would have scored if, it, if there was any other uh, movement from the ball. So I'm not, I'm not worried about it. Would it have been nice to go three nil at halftime? Sure. Uh, but we won the game and Lukaku once again uh, on the score sheet, which is, which is good. And I think that's, it's good to have these conversations because it helps me reel in my emotions. Cause the first thing I say is like, Lukaku, you have to bury that one three nil and, <laughs> All the stress is gone. But I think it, it's a fair point of a few weeks ago where Alex was going to get eight touches and Lukaku didn't <laughs> get eight touches. In this game, you know, Lukaku is getting those eight, nine touches. But they're good touches, Rahul. He's getting on the score sheet. He's getting into the goalposts. He's getting into the mix of all these players. And so I hate to keep saying this because we use these as excuses, but maybe with time and he warms up to Tuchel's formations with the guys around him. Of course, you spend $100 million, you expect snap of the fingers and he's fitting into the squad, but it doesn't always play like that. We can compare him to looking at Jack Grealish, for example, who's another good player that hasn't really fit in just yet, but eventually will come good. And so I have to let go of that interview. I have to let go of some of the negativity around Lukaku and the lamppost that he's been called online and allow, <laughs> allow time and see how this plays out, especially again, alluding to what summer is going to look like with the whole, whole sort of changes coming into Chelsea at this point. Yeah, and look, he's he's our player. We know he loves Chelsea. Yes, we let him go earlier. Maybe that interview last last year at the end of the year uh, wasn't the best thing to do. It wasn't the right thing to do. He's apologized. He's had some bad games like we've spoken about, but he scored in the Club World Cup. He was one of the main reasons we won that trophy. Yes, Kai Havertz gets the winner at the end, but Lukaku got us there. He's been scoring in the FA Cup. Uh, so it's only a matter of time where, you know, he gets more of these opportunities in the Premier League. And uh, last year we were complaining about Kai Havertz. This year we're praising Kai Havertz and saying he's the future of this club. So I think Lukaku will come good. We just need to give him the time and um, hopefully he scores the winner in one of these finals that we may end up in and, and all the pain will be washed away. <laughs> <laughs> one can only dream I'll, I'll recap that second half really quickly because obviously we should, we're two nil in that first half but uh, nothing too amazing to report Rahul I think we could have killed the game a couple of times but in typical Chelsea fashion we don't always take opportunities that would come our way however we didn't concede and we were able to see the game out two nil and that's that's a big deal because we're going on to the semi-final and I think you have a little bit of an interesting stat for a trip to Wembley with Tuchel as well as some of the FA Cup semi-final finals that we've been in yeah so I was thinking about it right I'm like okay going back to Wembley but we were just there about three weeks ago in the Carabao Cup finals so how have we done with our trips or have we made it to Wembley in the last few years so I'm going to take you back about five years here 2017 we played the semi-final at Wembley against Spurs in the FA Cup we win that 4-2 I believe and then go on to the final where we were clearly robbed by refereeing decisions, but we let's not talk about that. So that's two trips in 2017. Another two in 2018 where we actually won the, the FA Cup and that was our last domestic trophy. 2019 under Sarri, we made it to the Carabao Cup final at Wembley. 2020 under Frank, we made it in the semifinals of the FA Cup and the final of the FA Cup and we were robbed again in the final. 
2021, we made it again under Tuchel in semifinal of the FA Cup, final of the FA Cup. We were robbed once again. In 2022, we've made it to the Carabao Cup final and now to the FA Cup semifinal. So the pedigree is there. The, the trips to Wembley, I mean, the passport stamps, not that we get those stamps since it's a domestic trip, but we keep making it there consistently. No, it doesn't matter who the manager is, doesn't matter who the players are. Uh, but I think now we got to take it one step beyond and, and win those finals and not say we were robbed, even though we may, we may eventually get robbed again. But uh, jokes aside, I think our record here provides states that as a club, as players, we consistently, consistently want to do well in these domestic trophies. Yeah, and look, it's one of those things where I think it adds to the trophy cabinet. It has the players getting that confidence of, another trophy, another trophy. I don't really care who the, the player is. A trophy is a trophy at the end of the day. And so just getting into the final as a professional, you want to win it when you get there. And so it's nice for us to look at the stats like the 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22. It's tough. It's tough to look at that. And it's almost like you've got egg on your face or you've got a shadow looming over you of like every time we go to the, to the finals at Wembley, we're not, we're not closing off the game. We're not winning these games. And it's, it's interesting because we're talking about Champions League finalist winners here. We're talking about World Club champions, Super Cup champions. It's like, we can do this. It's obviously refereeing decisions, unlucky, lack of focus, whatever the situation may be. For this particular one, the boys need to put their head down and say, let's get through this semifinal, add another final to the list, and then just go out all gung-ho to win an FA Cup because it's been a while since we've got one in the trophy cabinet. Yeah, like I said, 2018. And and we've spoken about Man City going into a Carabao Cup final and winning for like four straight years. Yeah, That could have easily been us in the FA Cup. And I know rival fans will say, well, you guys could have been, but you didn't. Arsenal won it. Uh, I believe Man City won it. Liverpool won it. Uh, Leicester won it. So it's like we're almost there, but we can't get over the hurdle, which is weird to say because for the longest time, we said Wembley was our second home because we just would show up and, and yeah. win trophies for fun. So hopefully this year we can get over that curse and and get it right in the FA Cup because it'd be great to to get a domestic trophy like Mason Mount said and I I think for Tuchel too to get that first domestic trophy yes he's won everything on the European side on the world side uh, but get that first domestic trophy may be the sign of good things to come in terms of Carabao Cup next year maybe Premier League Community Shield maybe that's where we start um, and you know that's what we want to see. Yeah, it'll give us the confidence and Tuchel's group the confidence. When I mean his group, I mean that his actual staff at the back right. end will be able to say, okay, we've won something in England, which is a crazy thing to think about because you won the Champions League, but absolutely everything is different and uh, mentality works differently. And so winning that would be would be a big one for us. So um, let's talk about some other results that have happened because I think that wraps up Middlesbrough for us and obviously we're on to the semifinal. You talked about Mason Mount being excellent recently for Chelsea. Crystal Palace played Everton, and our dear Frank Lampard is not doing so hard. Obviously, when we go to the different tournaments, the hope is that he gets a break from the hustle and bustle of the Premier League. It's a fresh start, you know, new team sheet. But how did this one end for Frank? Not, not so well. Yes, it was the FA Cup, and I'm sure he would have liked to make it to the, the semifinals. But to lose 4-0 to Crystal Palace, who themselves deserve a lot of praise, uh, but focusing on Frank Lampard, I think... From the, the the win that they had earlier this week against Newcastle right at the end, this was a, an opportunity to just build off something. Even if they yeah. lost 1-0, 2-1, lost on, on 
penalties or an extra time, he would be able to show his guys, look, we're moving in the right direction. But a 4-0 loss, that hurts. And, and that almost sets you back a few steps since you took those steps in the last game. But now the focus ultimately for him is survival in the Premier League. And with games in hand, even though those are tough games, he's got to find those points and, and move up the table and, and get to the end of the season in the Premier League. You can tell that it's a tough situation for Frank Rahul. I heard his post-match interview, and essentially he said, it's not that we were very good, and it's not like Crystal Palace were very good, but losing 4-0 tells a story. Either they're not ready for the challenge or they're not talented enough for the challenge, but ultimately, and I'm not going to use the same words he used, but the team is lacking some courage, some steel in their bones to get things across the finish line. And I think it summarized what you said really well is he wouldn't have had an issue if the team tried hard and lost one nail two one and put up an effort, but they just seem to have no confidence. They just roll over and let crystal palace bully them to a four nail result, which again, crystal palace, it's not disrespectful to them. We're trying to focus on Everton at this point and say Frank's in some hot water. If he can't figure out how to motivate these guys very quickly to get them to move because Everton is longstanding historic club. That's been in the premier league for many, many, many years. And obviously that's life if somebody gets relegated to get relegated, but it's tough to see a stalwart of the Premier League go down. Yeah, and they're one of the only teams, I believe, apart from Arsenal, that have never been relegated to the second division of English football. So they're, they're cutting it close here, but they, like I said, they've still got about 11 games to go, which is more than any of the teams in and around them. So uh, hopefully they can put it right after this international break and, and not get into a... a and the final game scrap where they have to get points. Absolutely. All right, Manchester City versus Southampton. It ends Manchester City 4, Southampton 1. Uh, business as usual for Pep and his team. Yeah, business as usual. And they're one team, again, that continues to perform in, in these domestic trophies. So they go back into the, the semifinals of the FA Cup. Yep. And then the other team that actually makes it to semifinals, which will be Manchester City's rival, is Liverpool. And they win 1-0 against Nottingham Forest. How did that end up? Yeah, well, 1-0, but that was not really a, a, a legitimate goal <laughs> because if you look at the play, it was a good game. Let, let's give Nottingham Forest the, the, the credit that they deserve. They held Liverpool to an arguably offside goal uh, and themselves could have scored at least one or two that could have put them in a different position. But coming to Liverpool, they play a pretty strong team. They do a good job. Uh, they always have the ability and potential to score goals. But in this case, Jota's arm body is clearly offside. VAR is present, but it's not given. If you were to ask me, and maybe I'm biased, but if you were to ask someone else who doesn't support Chelsea or Liverpool, Lukaku's call in the Carabao Cup final versus this one, which one's offside, it would be clear as day that Jota was offside, Lukaku wasn't. (laughs) Look, I didn't get the chance to see that opportunity of how Jota played or whatnot. However, I will say that VAR has its issues. I think I've said that many, many times over. And all we're looking for as fans is a level of consistency. How they get there, I'm not sure, Rahul. I really don't know. You and I have debated this. Alex and I have debated this. It goes to a point where I've I've pushed to even get VAR removed because when things like this happen, and again, I reiterate, I haven't seen the whole situation, but... When things like this happen, it makes you lose your faith in the fact that it works for one team and it does not work for the other. And that's all I'll say about that. But 
Uh, like we said, Manchester City play Liverpool in the semi-final for this draw, and Chelsea obviously play Crystal Palace after they beat Everton. So before we move on, Rahul, should Chelsea be in the final after playing Crystal Palace in the semi-finals a few weeks from now? Yeah, no disrespect to Crystal Palace, but I think if you compare the two teams, Chelsea have enough on paper and should have enough on the pitch to make it through to the final. But I don't think we would have expected Patrick Vieira to lead Crystal Palace to a semi-final. So there'll definitely be a tough game. They most recently tied with Man City, which tells you that they have the potential to cause an upset. Uh, and they took us pretty deep into uh, our game in the Premier League where we scored, I think, in the 80, 88th or 89th minute. So it's going to be a tough game, but I think we should have enough and we should be going on to face one of Manchester City or Liverpool, which would be a, a, a good final, but a nervy one again. A nervy one indeed. And those three names, again, keep being mentioned, not only in the local space, but in the European space. So it tells you a story, not just about Chelsea, obviously, but about the Premier League and the quality of the Premier League and these three teams that are taking it abroad. But I think that wraps up FA Cup, at least on the men's side. I know you've got some more Cup news, but from the women's side this time around, so why don't you share with us what's going on there? Yeah, the women played in the uh, quarterfinals of the FA Cup, uh, their version of the FA Cup. And uh, a rotated team, uh, Emma Hayes goes to a back three with Ericsson coming back from injury and, and playing in the middle of the back three. Uh, Sam Kerr gets rested, Wrighton gets rested, and Cuthbert gets rested. Uh, not because there was any kind of disrespect towards Birmingham City, but I think this was just an opportunity for some of the other players to get a run out, uh, given that we have games coming thick and fast. So uh, pretty even first half, we get a goal right at the end from Ericsson, uh, but then the, they come back in the second half, and there's four goals from Chelsea. Uh, one from, like I said, Ericsson at the end of the first half, but then four goals from Drew Spence, two from England, and one from Liam Charles, which makes it 5-0, and, and they steamroll into the semifinals of the FA Cup, just like the men did. And the drop takes place tomorrow where they could face either Arsenal, Man City, or West Ham. Yeah, and so steamroll is probably the right word, given how they dismantle this other team, which is good news because for a while there, when the men were struggling, the women were struggling. And so now it's good to kind of see Good news on both sides, men and women. Good news in the FA Cup, both going to the semifinals. So exciting times all around, given some of the things around the club. You see me kind of alluding to what's going on here, but good good news overall. Absolutely. And, and we wish both teams well, and hopefully they can make the final. And uh, in the case of the women, retain the trophy because they won it uh, at the end of last year when they beat Arsenal in the final. Absolutely. So I think that covers the local news with the Premier League, FA Cups, everything that's going on. We do want to talk about the World Cup qualifiers. Maybe we'll wrap up there. Let's spend a few minutes on the ownership update. Let's see what's going on, because I've alluded so much to this throughout the entire episode. Uh, Rain Group, who is the legal firm, I think is the right term, that's handling all of this. They had a formal deadline of Friday, which as we're recording this episode was two days ago. Today is the 20th. Uh, on 18th of who would be allowed to submit bids. And I think you've got some information, at least a little bit that's leaked about who all has submitted some bids. What can you share with us there? Yeah, so I have about seven uh, consortiums or billionaires or, or names that have come forward. So um, I, I'm going to run through some of them. Some of them we've already spoken about here on the podcast and you may have read about them already. But uh, one of the new ones that came up uh, after the deadline was CNP Sports Group and Hana Financial Group, uh, which are two Korean firms, financial firms that 
threw their hat in and they said they wanted to invest in a top tier football club because there's no South Korean that really owns uh, a, a top tier club like Chelsea or, or any of the other ones. Later, we found out that Nick Candy, who himself is a, a big Chelsea fan, is part of this consortium that includes the two South Korean uh, firms and then Nick Candy's uh, blue football consortium that would, I guess, together come and make a and have placed a bid for the club. So uh, that's one of them. There's a few more that I'll run through here. Tal Benaim, who's a former player for Chelsea. Uh, this almost seems like a blast from the past section. Uh, but he's brokering a deal for a golf-based billionaire. We don't have the name of the billionaire, but uh, it seems that they've submitted a $2 billion bid with the promise of another £500 million uh, in funds. So he's kind of helping the negotiations there. Todd Bowley's consortium, who we've spoken about here on the podcast, uh, along with the Swiss billionaire Hans-Jörg Weiss, uh, and the two of them and a few more uh, people in that consortium have put in a bid for the club. And I believe there was a, a PR or a press release that came out from this consortium earlier on Friday before the deadline. And uh, if you haven't read it, we'll throw it up on our Instagram again. But it was it was a good one. It was they were talking about how, um, you know, they're coming to win. And this excitement has got them feeling like Frank Lampard had scored against Stoke City right at the end. And it touched on all the good points that you'd want to read as a fan. They, they address one of the members of this consortium as a Spurs fan. And they said, well, this wouldn't be the first time someone who has seen the light and switched over to the better team in London. <laughs> uh, so from the PR point of view, they got it spot on. And they're one of the only ones in the group in the list that said, we're ready to get this done before the next Premier League game against Brentford in April. So... We know time is of the essence and we know with everything going on, Roman's trying to disconnect and, and keep Chelsea's name intact. So this could be one of the options. One of the other options here is a Saudi media group who, if you ask anyone on Twitter, they that's who they want because they have the, they believe that this group would be the right group in terms of transfers and bringing the right players, which I don't disagree with, but it may not happen as fast as we want, given with what happened with Newcastle and how long the uh, the due diligence took. So they're another one. And the one of the other ones we've heard of from, again, from the States is the Ricketts family and Ken Griffin. Uh, the Ricketts family are one of the owners of the Chicago Cubs uh, out here, a baseball team. Some news that's coming in around them hasn't been too promising. So uh, there could be some controversy there. And then, Sir Martin Broughton, I may have said that wrong, and Sebastian Coa, another uh, British billionaires and owners or, or potential owners that may come in. Uh, and then the last one here is Joshua Harris Bid, uh, which is he's an owner of the New Jersey Devils, who's a hockey, ice hockey team, and the Philadelphia 76ers, a basketball team. Interestingly, he is got a stake in Crystal Palace, which if he comes over to Chelsea, he would have to sell. So We'll see how that plays out. But Jackie, there's one that's near and dear to your heart. It's not an official bid to buy the whole club, but a, a portion of it. So I'll let you uh, kind of wrap up the ownership segment with that. Yeah, before I get into that, I think you did a good job explaining a lot of it. This is extremely confusing times, but also very interesting to see what Roman Abramovich has done for Chelsea, that you have six or seven solid bids on the table they are that desirable they are that type of club that 
could make somebody richer. Obviously, that's not what we want to talk about as fans here because we don't want somebody taking money out of the club. But look, that, that, that's what I've always said. Football is a business. And in keeping on the other side of, of football, where it's more of a business and more of a love, there's the true blue consortium that, again, I'm reading a little bit about this. It just came out today. That's it's started by our very own dear John Terry. And he is trying to form a way for people who love Chelsea truly, even to the fans, to invest 10%, buy off 10% from whoever comes in to the club. Now, whether or not this will actually happen, whether or not they will allow the True Blue Consortium to come in and get 10% is a whole different conversation. But I thought it was a lovely gesture from John Terry and a couple of key individuals around him to help others invest in Chelsea and, and potentially keep Chelsea Chelsea. Because with 10%, you have enough of a voice to say, let's not change X, let's not change Y, let's not destroy the inner core, the spirit of what Chelsea is. And from there, you can at least try and have some form of control on the club. However, 10% is 10%, and it may not be enough for them to sell. We have to see as things develop. But if it does go, one of the things that's coming out is John Terry is allowing others, i.e. regular fans, Rahul, you and I, to potentially buy a couple of shares in Chelsea. So if that happens, maybe we need to pull together all our wallets, empty some <laughs> of our bank accounts, and see see how many shares we can get together for the Premier Chelsea. Yeah, and and that news did break. It wasn't confirmed uh, until John Terry himself confirmed it uh, later on. And and I think, like you said, it's a great effort. And ultimately, it comes down to the new owner and wanting to do this. But you you think as a new owner this would be one of the ways to win over some fans and, and make a quick impression that you're here to do the right thing. And so, like you stated, turn it into a business. So interesting times lie ahead. Like we said, we have an international break coming up. So uh, all we're going to mainly be hearing from here on out until the next game is some of this news, which could be good or bad, but uh, we'll, we'll try to stay positive. And, and like Jackie said, maybe put a put up some of our money for a couple of shares from John Terry. I got to go dust the cobwebs off of my wallet <laughs> to make sure I get some cash saved away. But no, you talked about international break. International break is indeed coming up. And before we wrap up today's segment, we wanted to talk about our very own Ghana and they're playing a World Cup qualify against Nigeria, one of our close neighbors. And so that's going to be an interesting game. Rahul, what can you share with us about this game? It's a World Cup qualifier. It's come down to this game being the one where either one of these teams makes it to Qatar later this year. So uh, from a spectacle, spectacle, from an African perspective, you think, why can both these teams be there? Because they're both household names. You and I grew up watching them and, and were lucky enough to see Ghana make it to three consecutive World Cups, 06, 2010, and 2014. But now they missed out in 2018 and if they don't win this game, could potentially miss out again, which would be hurtful. So the first game is in Kumasi uh, on Friday the 25th. And then there's a second leg in Nigeria in Abuja on the 29th. So a quick turnaround and uh, a nervy, I guess, encounter because both teams will want to win. Both teams will do everything possible to win, but only one's going to make it. So I'm, I'm nervous here and I watch Ghana not do so well in the African Cup of Nations. So hopefully they, they use that to, to come back and, and make an, a, a solid claim here. Look, I think your nervousness is very evident and I feel the same thing because 
while we are from Ghana and that's the team we want to progress, Nigeria is definitely a household name. They are one of the superpowers in football in, in Africa. And so for them to miss out on the World Cup would be actually pretty disappointing to see overall. But look, only one can go through. And so I hope both of these teams play their best, give it their all, and hopefully try to make it to the World Cup. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, 40,000 fans will be in uh, Kumasi cheering the Black Stars on. Uh, you and I have been lucky enough to go to a couple of games, not in Kumasi, not Accra, but we know the atmosphere. We know how passionate the fans get um, <laughs> and how passionate the players get. I, you Don't be surprised if there's a few cards flying around and yeah. uh, referees making some decisions. So we'll be watching. We'll be praying that Ghana make it through, but good luck to both teams and may the best team progress. And uh, we'll be supporting, I guess, if it's not Ghana, we'll be at least supporting Nigeria at the World Cup, just as from an African perspective. But any parting thoughts, Jackie? It's uh, international break coming. So I don't think we'll be getting back together for a week or so, but uh, any thoughts from you? Yeah, look, we'll keep an eye out on the Ghana-Nigeria game. We want to make sure that that goes to plan for Ghana. But like you said, we'll support any African team trying to make it far into the World Cup. But we'll also keep an eye out on the development around Chelsea, what's going to happen. Rahul, I think with the quiet week in terms of Premier League, FA Cup, Champions League, there will be a lot of noise coming out from the bids, who's accepted, who's not accepted, and how far that makes it. So uh, we'll post some stuff on our Instagram and definitely have a lot to catch up on once international break is over. Absolutely. And hopefully Reese James doesn't go on international break. I don't know why he was called up by England because the man's been injured. Uh, but he's in the squad, so better check. Do your best to convince Southgate to drop him uh, because we need a fully fit Reese James for the next few months, and, and maybe that might be the difference bef- between semifinals and finals. Um, but apart from Ghana, I think the U.S. has some crucial World Cup qualifiers too, so hopefully they can, they can do the business. And uh, even though there's no club football, there is going to be a lot of international football, so keep an eye out for it. And like Jackie said, we'll be posting on our Instagram. Speaking of Instagram, we've just hit 16K. So thank you all for that. But that wraps it up, guys. Thank you very much for listening. Please continue to subscribe, like, and follow us. It's at the Premier Chels, Apple, Spotify, Google, Instagram. And on Twitter, it's at Premier Chels. We're also on YouTube. You're watching us right now on YouTube. So if you haven't already subscribed, go ahead and subscribe. And as always, send us your feedback and we will be back with a new episode. But until then, stay safe and up the Chels.